so I had a tart. I had a tart and it was not tart. And I was confused. I was confused by yeah. the untartness of the tart. And now, AJ, you're telling me that yeah. there are they sell these things. They they put the name tart on them, but they are yeah. not even fruity, well, I mean, tarty things. As far as I can remember, when I was having these, I was in Ireland. It's in it's a it's a place in oh, Dublin called well, uh, see, Queen of Tarts, which is lovely. Uh, okay, that's a but, good name. I had a I had a like a broccoli cheddar tart there once, and I think it was a just broccoli how... cheddar tart. Yeah, it was basically like a no. This like is this quiche. is hold on. No, this is an epistemological nightmare. Well, because a quiche you requires like a fluffy egg thing, right? Yeah, but it's just it had like the pastry of a tart. Yeah, it was just it, the the filling in it was like a was like a cheddar broccoli mix. It kind of mm. tasted like the um the cheddar broccoli at Panera. Actually. And I feel once we get to the British Isles, there is this sort of it's like everything is on this rotating cipher and you just yeah. rotate it over one and everything mm. like, you know, biscuits and crisps right. and chips. Right. And they all call that. biscuits. They call cookies biscuits. They don't even know what a biscuit is. Right. There, there's also like my grandmother, who is Swedish, also would make things that she called scones that are not what anyone else mm. would call scones. And that just might. <laughs> be a i don't know a swedo missouri thing but swedes sound off in the comments <laughs> <laughs> so many possible worlds but we got this one so many possible worlds but we got this one welcome to the worst of all possible worlds the first and only swedo missouri podcast <laughs> I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible Bryans. And I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And in a staggering, bewildering move, I am leading this week's episode. Welcome to hell, lads. <laughs> I outlined this. I did work for once because Howdy, we son. are talking about one of my favorite musicals ever written. Stephen Sondheim and John Weedman's 1990 masterpiece. Oh, Assassins. Hold on. Weedman? Yeah, is that not how? I'm pretty sure it's Weidman. Is it Weidman? I think it's Weidman. Do you want me to take it again? I can (laughs) take it again. No, No. great. No, this is already going so great. I'm leading the episode. This is a musical. This is the second musical that Stephen Sondheim wrote with his weed man. (laughs) For all accounts uh, from James Lapine, he had an excellent weed man. Who do you think he got his weed from? My guess. My guess. Yeah. Anthony Perkins. Mm. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good guess. Uh, I was going to say Andrew Lloyd Webber. He would send it uh, <laughs> overseas. I don't think Andrew Lloyd Webber has ever done a drug. I think he drinks, but no, he doesn't. Have I think he's joy. a mean drunk. Yeah, I think he's a. Oh, I would imagine I he's think a pretty he's mean, mean drunk. sober too. <laughs> <laughs> So we are covering assassins. Uh, a couple of people had uh, requested this actually mm. of us uh, in our uh, on our Patreon, and I was don't just say overjoyed. we never do anything for you, patrons. Uh, don't we're ever not, say we're, it. We're also not doing this for you. This is for us. This, we is, for this, this is for me. Specifically. This is actually very much for Josh because while Brian and I have a history with this musical, Josh, this really was not on your radar, or it was, but you like actively denied it, like well, a. Like a some sort of wayworn son. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. No, I mean it, it does was just, not it, exist. <laughs> it's just a show that I'd never properly seen or listened to before. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, my my history with Assassins is basically just that it was always on the periphery as a show that I found conceptually interesting, being you know a musical about presidential assassins. Yeah. Obviously, that's going to be in my wheelhouse. Sure. Um, but I never 
had the opportunity to see a production, nor did I listen to the cast recording. I did in college briefly think about trying to do a production of it. And then I realized that trying to mount a student production of Assassins would be way too big of an ask. And uh, yeah, just did a small in college. Yeah, too. that's uh, the one that blew my mind. I mean, look, oh, if that I was, wouldn't have been too edgy that, for. Calvin, no, actually. Oh, yeah? OK, there's no there's no sex in it. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did. We, we uh, before we got there, they did a funny thing happen on the way to the forum and no one really cared. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, okay. which is all, well, that, you know prostitutes th- th- that's all very body but like squeaky from does use some pretty foul language she well, does right. yeah she show. does say the f word yeah and, and so the thing is yeah like just just to wrap that up i i ended up not doing it just because i was like yeah no that's going to be too much effort too difficult instead because you did I, edward albee instead <laughs> yeah, I did, I did, well i did the zoo story which is which is pretty light you know yeah. that's that's less than an hour you can put it up pretty easily yeah but i've always been interested in trying to go back and so I was very excited to hear that you guys wanted to A, do this and B, lead on it so that I could finally have one where I'm sort of in the backseat, which is very exciting. For and me. you know what? You can't spell assassins without A. So, Brian, yeah. what is your history with this musical? Yeah, well, this is one of the first musicals I ever got acquainted with. I mean, you know, not counting Rodgers and Hammerstein because, you know, everyone knows some Rodgers and Hammerstein. We all saw. I think know, everyone can sing Oklahoma. I feel yeah, like if you sing I mean, Oklahoma, people like have a basic. Yeah, I watched Oklahoma. You know, we had the, the two video cassette uh, pack for Oklahoma for the King and I for the Sound of Music and for uh, the uh, Bach and Harnick Fiddler on the Roof. Um, so kind of the standard musicals that everyone knows as a kid. Of course, we all saw Brandy and Cinderella, which was Okay, and um, oh, it's pretty fun. It's yeah, pretty I like fun. It. It's I pretty fun, like but yeah. you know, when you go back to the the Julie Andrews original, the reason why I think that one works better is because it's just a lot shorter. Mm. And every time that mm. they redo it with Leslie Ann Warren with Brandy, when they bring it to Broadway, they keep making it longer, and they keep adding like other Rodgers and Hammerstein songs. They they for the Broadway one, they were throwing in like songs from Allegro, um, and making it longer. So you know, my my, I mean, who's gonna listen to Allegro otherwise, Brian? <laughs> so I didn't I didn't love musicals as a concept really until getting to high school and doing Into the Woods. And there's yeah. like, oh, look at how you can integrate all of these songs into into the story in a way that even Oscar Hammerstein didn't. And while I was working on Into the Woods, my my director for that was also like I was taking voice lessons from her. And so she had, you know, a bunch of books of different musicals. And was like, here's this one called Sweeney Todd. Here's this one called Assassins. Here's what they're about. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And so the next time I went into like Albuquerque and, and went to Barnes and Noble, I saw the Sweeney Todd revival album and the original off-Broadway production of Assassins. Uh, yeah. On CD, and I took him home with me. Listened to both. Loved Sweeney Todd. Did didn't really care for Assassins, and I put it down though. I had listened to it just once, and there was stuff that was just sort of dancing around in my head for a while, and so I popped it back in, and I was like, "No, actually, I love this." <laughs> what was it that initially would left you out in the cold? Like, I why no was it initially? Like, Meh. I don't huh. know. I just didn't have a great feel from it. Brian, I, I feel you on that because actually pretty much every Sondheim show that I've listened to the first time through, I have not liked. Uh, okay. The, the exception to this, I think, being Sweeney. 
Uh, everything else didn't because the music can be very dissonant at times and the chord structure is uh, very strange. Uh, at my first viewing of any Sondheim show, I'm like, I don't know. And then it takes like several listenings to like actually get it in my bones and to like really appreciate yeah. what it's trying to do. But I'm just I'm usually just so overwhelmed at first. And it was absolutely the case with Assassins, because for me, this was like an urban legend in high school. Like <laughs> as somebody who was like really into the world of musical theater, they're like, well, uh, you can write because uh, I was like, you can't write a musical about everything. And like, well, they did write a musical about every assassin that tried to kill a U.S. president. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, that's too extreme. Like, it, it really was like the most taboo musical you could talk about outside of Taboo the Musical. Yeah. <laughs> I was also similarly in my Barnes and Noble and I got my hands on the Broadway cast recording, which has just some really terrible poster design on it. Uh, oh, we were wretched. talking about this a little bit last night, but it is this like red. Red and uh, yellow sort of razzmatazz I, cover. I, I think with generally this, like, the 21st century has been very unkind to musical posters. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I it, think we just don't have a whole lot of great artwork for musicals in the last 20, maybe even 30 years. No, there's some really good ones in the 90s. The Never thing mind. that's so crazy about the Broadway cast recording, though, is that like the, the actual lettering looks like it's in fucking Microsoft Word art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a PowerPoint. <laughs> and, and, and there's a the picture of a guy who's like pointing toward the camera, like, yeah. and, you know, making a gun with his finger and his like face is sort of obscured. Yeah, I he guess kinda has no but face. What yeah. it looks like, honestly, is like oh shit, the assets never came in. We have to get something together because this ship's in two days. Well, this looks like, like this looks like it's a musical about assassins, just like maybe it's an action musical. Maybe it's like the movie Assassins, which is just about some guys doing assassinations. Right, just right. killing, you know? Yeah. Who, who knows what this is about? The original yeah. off-Broadway cast recording has the original artwork. Uh, this is also what's on the, the published script for it. It's the Stars and Stripes but with a missing star. And so it immediately starts to give you like a sense of what the what the thing's whole deal is. But yeah, the, the Broadway poster kind of looks like the neighborhood watch stranger danger sign. <laughs> like if that guy was slapped on the cover of a CD. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lee Harvey Oswald would have been stopped if McGruff the crime dog had just been around <laughs> to tackle him to the ground. Mm. But yeah, so Assassins has this sort of reputation. You know, I my mom was actually very upset with me for wanting to actually go see the show. And we'll get into the reasons mm. behind mm. that a little bit later, because this is a subject that does touch a nerve for a very particular generation. Mm -hmm. I think that the boomers were so traumatized by JFK even joking about it became this sort of incredibly taboo subject. So when two boomers decided to write a musical. Hold on. They're not boomers. They're not okay. boomers. You watched Company. We are uh, the generation gap. They are. And, and I think that's important, too, because I think, you know, if you were a kid when Kennedy was assassinated, it was like awful and fucked up and everything. If you were an mm -hmm. adult when it happened, oh, it was just horrifying. Sure. Yeah. Especially if you had kids. I think it's the same thing for 9-11, right? Like right. we were, we, I was 10 years old, but like when you're a kid, your perception of reality is always shifting anyway. And so you're, you have this malleable mind that's going to adapt to like, well, this is a thing that has now happened and is continuing on. Whereas if you're in your thirties or forties, uh, you're a parent, you're a teacher and you're around all these kids. You're having to think about so many things. How do I present this to them? How do I how do I like 
perceive the world in this way, knowing just how much is going to fundamentally change because of this. And I think that the Kennedy assassination was absolutely that for for the uh, the so-called silent generation and the greatest generation folks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I it's funny you mentioned 9-11 because that will actually come up in sort of the production of yeah. this musical yeah. and in how it was received, particularly in its revival. But I think we should also take a moment to talk about how unique Assassins is as a musical, just despite it's like its subject yeah. matter. Yeah. It is not an adaptation. It is well, not. Well, it is an adaptation. Well, kind of. Well, kind of. Because okay. <laughs> I mean, music, you know, really most tricky. musicals are adaptations, right? You know, like yeah. it's it's very rare to have like a totally original musical. You know, it could be a great success or it could be a big mess like chess. But, but they'll make Broadway their eternal address. How dare you <laughs> quote title of show in my Zoom room? Sorry, How it's dare an original you musical. An original musical. Original in every way. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> there are musicals based on books, plays. You know, history, we've talked about 1776, obviously mm-hmm. Hamilton. Based on a Movies, book. I mean, famous musicals based on comic strips, paintings, yeah. more than one. And this is yeah. part of a very, very small number of musicals that are based on another musical by a totally yeah. different guy. <laughs> Yeah. So let, let's set the table for this. Let's set. Uh, let's do some table setting. So <laughs> doing table work. Is, thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Thank yeah. you. The year is 1987. <laughs> Stephen J. Sondheim has just run a victory lap. He's walking out of the old zoetrope house, dropping He's, a nickel in to see a horse running. <laughs> Father built a house and... Uh, <laughs> So uh, he's running a victory lap with James Lapine uh, because they have just done Into the Woods, right? It's going to very clearly run at regional theaters and in youth theaters and community theaters for the rest of time. Yeah, the Broadway run, I think, made its money back, but it was not a huge success. But it was very obvious that, like, people are going to do Into the Woods because it's a musical about all the fairy tales. But basically, it provided a certain financial stability for Sondheim. I mean, obviously, it had a a lot before because of West Side Story. But like, but he, I've seen the pictures of his house. This took him to another level. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. he was he was really starting to make that money, and he was also coming off of the artistic renaissance, right? Like after Merrily We Roll Along, he was really in down in the dumps. But Lapine like brought this artistic sort of spark back to him, and he's like, you know who I haven't worked with in a long time. My old weed man friend, uh, John Weidman, uh, he uh, he reached out to him and, and asked him if he had any ideas for musicals. And then, uh, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what was going on at the Musical Theater Lab in 1979, 10 years prior to us? So there, there's this thing, you know, Stephen Sondheim is really interested in teaching. And of course, he only got where he was because... Oscar Hammerstein basically raised him and then, you know, helped him along with writing things when he was in prep school and when he was in college. Um, You know, John Weidman, similarly, his dad was a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. He wrote the libretto for Fiorello. So Sondheim really is concerned with teachers. You know, a lot of his his uh, nonprofit stuff as an older man was was about teaching and about, you know, honoring teachers and things like that. So he wanted to find a way to, like, incubate talent in a younger generation, you know. And uh, Stuart Ostro yeah. also had this idea, and they made this this thing called the Musical Theater Lab and got submissions from all over the place. So there's this guy. Charles Gilbert Jr. Charles Gilbert Jr. That's a good, like, assassin name if there ever it was is. one, you know. Charles Gilbert Jr. writes a musical uh, in Pittsburgh in 1977. It's done at the uh, the Mattress Factory. Have you guys ever been there? 
No. Uh, I've been to a mattress factory, but I don't like to talk about it. And no one likes mm. to talk about the purple facility out in Queens. Uh, <laughs> do those even exist anymore? I feel like those ads used to be everywhere. Was that some sort of mafia thing? The mattress? I feel like that company, like like all those mattress companies, this, we could do a whole episode about mattress companies. But basically, Honestly, I did a commercial for one called Ghost Bed, which no it, longer exists. If you want to know the honest answer, it's that all of these companies got loaded up with a whole bunch of private equity financing and then went bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, once it turned out that the numbers didn't add up. Which, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm see, sure see, if you see, look up Purple Mattress now, it's all like NFTs and AI generated <laughs> images of mattresses. What? Well, it is it is really funny because I booked this commercial for a thing called Ghost Bed, and I'm like, oh, so it's Casper, and they're just not letting me know. And oh, then I you got mean there you did a real commercial? No. I thought you were talking yeah. about one of the commercials you write for this, and I was like, I really don't remember Ghost Bed. Okay, no, 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 it's a legitimate <laughs> commercial. Sometimes I do those. It's like and a ghost was, kitchen, but for beds. No. Yeah, but I got there, and it was like, oh no, this is for a product called Ghost Bed, and I said, oh, but <laughs> Casper exists, and everyone, which we don't talk about Casper, they got very, very serious <laughs> so the mattress factory is not a mattress factory maybe it was before it's still around you can see uh, when i was there in 2020 just before the pandemic uh, took everything over um mm-hmm. i saw some really fun installations there but they actually staged a show in part of the mattress factory and you can see some pictures on gilbert's website it looks extremely eclectic it looks like it, it's it's kind of a sketch show with with song you know a review type thing that's just jumping back and forth and probably very groovy and very 70s so it used a lot a lot of its script was just real writings and quotes from articles about the assassins or things that people personally wrote Artie bremer is a major character in that musical because arthur bremer shot george wallace you know the guy I said segregation now, segregation forever. He wrote a lot, and the and his writings and he he hoped that they would be published, and they got published. Uh, this is also the basis for Taxi Driver. Um, oh, interesting. Gilbert had found a book that was sort of a collection of Bremer's writings and like other, you know, Hinckley hadn't happened yet, but like other people, their poems, uh, writings about them. It had the speech "I'm going to the Lordy" in it, and mm-hmm. he combined these all together, wrote all these songs. And it was it was a weird avant-garde little musical. And he submitted it to this musical theater lab. Uh, Sondheim writes this letter to him fucking eight years later that just says a number of years ago, you submitted to Stuart Ostro's musical theater lab a script called Assassins. The idea of the show has haunted me ever since, although I and the rest of the committee felt that your working out of the notion was not successful. I'm writing to ask you if you would object to my exploring the basic idea on my own or possibly with a collaborator. It's very Sondheim in terms of these, (laughs) as far as his letters go. To his credit, Charles Gilbert Jr. jumps at this. Sondheim is also very, you know, he's a professional. He's worked in the industry a long time and he makes it very clear in the last paragraph. Like, if you say yes to this, we're immediately talking about money first. Like, Mm, we're going to make sure that you have a financial agreement to this, even though, like, I want to work on this with somebody else. And I just want to sort of run with this same basic idea. And yeah. Charles Gilbert, uh, he he wears this as a badge of honor. He he also thought, yeah, the musical wasn't totally successful. It's on his website oh. currently. I would love to get a copy of the script and see what it looks like. You know, he he directed Assassins a couple years after it opened in uh, around um, Philadelphia. If if Stephen Sondheim made a musical based on something you made, 
That's pretty cool. <laughs> and part of that contract is that Gilbert could stage his production of Assassins and have no interference mm-hmm. from the Sondheim's people. They write this thing very, very quickly. Like, uh, Weidman is basically in, like, a fugue state. It's <laughs> the whole thing, like, incredibly quickly. It was just on a roll. They start previews on December 18th, 1990, and then they open proper the next year in 91. It's not very well received and particularly yeah. gets a, a not, I would say, not scathing review, having just reread it from Frank Rich, who was the head. It's certainly not his merrily roll along view. <laughs> it certainly is not. Where the whole time he's just like, I really hate to do this, but Sondheim, you fucked <laughs> up. <laughs> and he's fucking putting the gun up to old Yeller's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this, like, inflection point in America at the time that I think also goes a long way towards explaining the audience's sort of hostile reaction yeah. to this show, which is that we were in the midst of Desert Storm. It's crazy because we didn't we didn't have a domestic attack to lead to Desert right. Storm. So it was the usual kind of bullshit that we had to cook up that we did the same thing for the Spanish-American War and for the Vietnam War. Where it's like, oh yeah, yeah the this thing happened to a boat somewhere. Uh, although, listen to Blowback Season One if you want to hear about Desert Storm and hear mm-hmm. about the because because I think we've forgotten it, like because yeah. Desert Storm itself was so short, and we're just like, yeah, something about oil fields getting set on fire later, uh, Kuwait slant drilling, I drink your milkshake, whatever. Like, yeah, the absolute fucking insanity that brought us into Operation Desert Storm. Uh, really deserved that second look that Brennan James and Noel Colwyn gave it because it, like yes. the stuff that you were seeing on TV every day was just ridiculous. We cannot see ourselves as anything other than the protagonists, right? We are the protagonists of reality. And the thing about Assassins is that it is very clearly puncturing little holes into that idea here, there and everywhere mm. about like what the core of the American ideal actually is. Yes. And questioning if maybe that ideal is even a good thing at all. And so, yeah. of course, at this time of military adventurism overseas, people are going to be fully primed to be like, hey, we need to be cheering on, you know, our boys who are defending freedom and democracy yeah. abroad yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fucking and Kuwait. The reviews at the time, because I took a look at this yeah. as well, is like yeah. they are so upset, honestly, with the tone. Uh They really don't like this sort of dark, gleeful tone that it takes toward the idea of assassination. They can't handle a lot of these people. The idea of these ideas being played with in a way that is anything less than full of like gravity. Hey there, you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this, head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash worst of all. And you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes. And if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.